Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nothing Hoodies. This is Bill Kegel. I'm joined by Tony DeNicola. Tony, what's happening, buddy? Oh, man, just waiting for the uh, big Thursday night game to start, man. My Cowboys-Vikings, I am hyped up. So, uh, needless to say, this is going to be a little bit of an abbreviated show because, uh, you know, I kind of want to get to watching that. But uh, I'm pumped, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah, we Excellent. Um, doing this a day later, just to let everybody know the normal uh, extenuating circumstances that we don't need to get into yesterday prevented us from doing a show, but uh, we definitely didn't want to miss a week. So we are here. So sorry about the, the tweeted out. Um, we missed it yesterday. Um, you know, it'll, we'll, we'll pop up in your iTunes. And uh, if this is the biggest problem you have, um, stop listening to us immediately and uh, go find some real problems and come back. So anyway, Tony, let's get right into it. Dallas, Minnesota tonight, man. Who's going to win? Got to go with my boys, man. I, that Minnesota, they have a great defense. I, I'm a little worried about them, but at the end of the day, you can't stop all the Cowboys' weapons. You stack the box against Zeke, Dak's going to throw it up to Dez, or he's going to throw it out in the slot to uh, to Beasley, or he's going to hit the tight end Witten. It, you know, you, you try to stop the passing game, Zeke's going to run all over you, and it just – it always comes down to that offensive line for the Cowboys. They can push anybody around, help bully them, help power them, and they're just going to wear the Vikings down. And in the day, too, man, like, the Vikings are a good team. Don't get me wrong. We'll give them a lot of credit. Great defense. But they do not have an offense. Their, their rushing attack is one of the, the worst in the league. Sam Bradford, while his numbers are decent, he's not doing, he's not doing terrible. He's, he's not completing the ball down the field. I mean, he's going for like four or five yards per pass. Like, that's just not going to get it done. So, I, I got the Cowboys probably by, I'd say by 10 tonight. Oh, the line is only three. So, I mean, really six because I do believe it's in Minnesota. But, yep. all right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, Mike Zimmer's out for the for the Vikings. So, uh, which is a weird thing to say a coach is out, but um, – yeah, an emergency eye surgery. Guess what, what was it, the third time he's had this surgery? Like, that's kind of scary. He's only 60. Um, very, very good head coach. The team's been floundering as of late, but hard to really blame him. You know, he doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of dynamic talent and skill position uh, spots, especially on offense. You know, they're missing their best player, Adrian Peterson. And uh, But the defense, man, the defense is still as good as it's been. And, you know, it's, it's really hard. If the offense can get to 20 points, even against Dallas, I do I do wonder if they make it you know somewhat competitive. I'm not holding my breath with uh, Bradford and company and a banged up Stephon Diggs and uh, 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 equally as banged up Jarek McKinnon and Asiata's you know he's a he's a goal line guy. But that offensive line, I mean, it's going to be kind of boring to watch Minnesota go against uh, Minnesota's offense go against Dallas's defense. But it's going to be a really entertaining to watch Dallas offense offensive line going against that, that defensive line and those linebackers, Anthony Barr especially. Uh, looking forward to the matchup with him and Witten. I'd love to see what Zeke's going to be able to do against those linebackers. And uh, look for the Xavier Rhodes-Des Bryant matchup, man, because uh, Xavier Rhodes, you know, gave Odell, Beckham, uh, gave Odell Beckham a lot of trouble, and he's been giving receivers trouble all this year. I mean, Xavier Rhodes is coming into his own and being one of the top cornerbacks in the league, you know, probably up there with the uh, Patrick Petersons and the uh, – and I guess the shell of, I was a formerly Darrell Revis, but he's like, he was always the go-to guy. But anyway, but yeah, it, interesting enough. I think that, uh, I, I think that Minnesota can make it, um, can make it somewhat competitive. 
Uh, yeah, I think they can hang with them. I mean, I think it'll be close in the halftime. But I, Dallas, what they do better than any other team, that offensive line and that running game, they just punish you and they wear you down toward the end of the game. And I, I love the way Jack plays in the fourth quarter. I mean, his stats, his last 11 drives in the fourth quarter overtime, and this is a rookie we're talking about. Prescott is 30 of 33 for 325 yards and three touchdowns. Three incompletions in his last 11 drives in the fourth quarter or overtime. That's, that's yeah. ridiculous. For any quarterback, that's great, let alone for a rookie. The guy just, when it matters the most, when the spotlight is on him, he performs his best, which is extremely commendable for a young player like him. No, it's very true, and I love how poised he is. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, at the same I'm one side of the fence. I'm a, uh, I'm a huge Dak fan because I like his game. I like him as a person. You know, by all accounts, he's a great guy. But on the other side, I am pissed that this guy is in my division and is going to be tormenting me for the next twelve to fifteen years. So uh, I thought, I thought once Romo was done, Dallas would just be on this uh, downward spiral. The the post Aikman pre Romo years where they're they're trotting out Quincy Carters and Chad Hutchinson. And uh, a banged out Drew Bledsoe, um, and uh, boy, much to my dismay, it's uh, it's going to be Dak Prescott tormenting me for the next uh, decade plus, well into my mid forties, and I'm not really overly thrilled about it. Not overly thrilled about it. But that being said, man, um, Kirk Cousins, you know, did light your defense up on Thanksgiving, when, and probably the most entertaining Thanksgiving game I can remember <laughs> quite some time. Um, so what do you what do you think about the Dallas uh, defense going forward and and their chances in the playoffs against uh, against you know some of these uh, some of these I would say high powered offenses but say hypothetically the New Orleans Saints get in right and that game is obviously going to be in Dallas you know and might as well be a dome um, what do you think this how do you how do you like the Saints offense against your defense I mean what do you see in your defense that makes you think that Dallas can uh, can hang with those high powered offenses. Oh, I let's be honest, man. I guess a high-powered offense, I don't like the Dallas' uh, defense. I don't like their shots at all. But the fact is, and you saw in the Washington game, I think they gave up like 440 or 50 yards passing to um, – uh, oh, God, why am I slipping on his name? The Washington quarterback Kirk right now. Uh, Cousins. Kirk, yes, yeah, Cousins. Uh, yeah, they gave up a ton of yardage to him. But at the end of the day, they gave up a ton of yardage. You know what he didn't do was get it into the end zone. That defense, they are the definition of Ben don't break. I'll let you can go 20 to 20 all you want on my defense. If we keep you out of the end zone, I'm perfectly happy with it. And it also goes back too to Dallas's game plan: run the ball, eat up the clock. They lead the league in time of possession. The more you eat up that clock, the less chances the other team's offense gets to score. That's the best way to beat elite quarterbacks that can just chuck it all over the field like Breeze, like Brady. Keep the ball out of their hands. Keep them stewing on the sideline while you go on a six, seven, eight-minute drive and cap it off with a touchdown. That's the best way to protect your defense is you basically just hide them and don't expose them. Yeah, that being said, too, that Rod Marinelli, I mean, he should, I thought he should have gotten some, uh, some love last year for Coach of the Year. I mean, again, another great performance by Rod Marinelli because they have – Dallas has – sort of a nameless defense outside of your, you know, your Sean Lees and uh, um, uh, Byron Smith. And, I mean, I, I might, Byron Smith, right? Your safety there from UConn that broke the long jump record. Why am I drawing on his name? No, Byron no. Smith? Your, Byron Jones from UConn, yep. 
Byron Jones, thank you, thank you. It's my, my mistake. So, Byron Jones, he, he broke the long jump uh, world record in, at the NFL Combine a couple of years ago. Well, go YouTube that. That's nuts. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's a pretty nameless defense, you know, that, that you know, you wouldn't think they can get pressure on the quarterback, but they do a better job getting pressure on the quarterback than uh, the New England's defense, per se, uh, let's say. Uh, so, and, and they have some names on there. You know, Javal Sheard is supposed to be a little bit better than, uh, than, than he is this year. And, um, you know, Chris Long is a name, but, and you would think with somebody like Belichick and his just, you know, defensive, his mind for defense, you would think that they would, you know, be able to do anything on defense. Um, and they're not, they're not even really hanging with Dallas on, on the defensive end. Um, but no, back to Dallas, I definitely think Rod Marinelli, the defensive coordinator deserves a lot, a lot of credit for Dallas's success is, is you know, as, as impressive as Dak and the offensive line and uh, Elliott has been. Um, the defense not losing them games has been equally as impressive as uh, what's been going on on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, absolutely. He deserves all the credit in the world because, I mean, in Dallas, the coverage is pretty bare of that defense. They really don't have any – they don't have any semblance of a pass rush for the most part. It's picked up a little bit in the last four games, but, I mean, really there's no playmakers there. They, they have tons of injuries no. in the secondary. Uh, J.J. Wilcox is out tonight. Thank God Barry Church came back. Uh, Wilcox was his backup at safety. Uh, Morris Claiborne, probably done for the year with his groin. We Hopefully he goes back to the playoffs, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's been a tough year, but he just he's doing what he can with the pieces that he has. He's done a commendable job. And he, like, like I said, he give up all the yards you want from the 20 to 20, but you know, when push comes to shove and they get in the red zone, tighten the screws, hold them to a field goal, because that Dallas offense will just run the ball down your throat and score, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. And another, another great stand I found, too, about that offensive line and just what bullies and punishers they are, the Cowboys lead the NFL in 3.0 yards per rush before contact. So that means Zeke is getting three nuts. yards before anyone even touches him. Touches him. And I know people are saying, oh, he's running the ball a ton. It's a ton of punishment on his body. The fact that he's running that much before he, anyone even tackles him, it's not as much punishment as you might think. Yeah, I heard that stat the other day, too. That That's incredible. Uh, that's 100% incredible. Um, yeah, the fact that he's not getting touched and a guy like that that can make people miss in small spaces. I mean, this is why he's leaving the league in rushing. It's oh man, that offensive line is impressive. They are the actual. They'll never give it to an entire group, but they are they are one thousand percent the MVP of this this season. And I think it's I think it's as unanimous oh, as uh, you know Shaq's two thousand uh, two thousand MVP. It, it's that it's that lopsided to me. But unfortunately, I can't yeah. give it to an entire group. But that group is impressive. Absolutely. If there's ever a time to change that, uh, this would be the year. That that offensive line just powers this team. They they fully deserve it. And great news for the Cowboys, too. Lyle Collins should be coming back soon. That's even more depth on their offensive line. The rich get richer. Yeah, that that's insane, too. If you think about the depth, that is as impressive. <laughs> They've just done such a great job. I mean, they really have. Um yeah, it, it's impressive to watch, man. It's impressive to watch. And I'm looking, Dallas is uh, 21st in total defense, sort of middle, sort of bottom of the middle of the pack. But, I mean, you know, judging how that offense is playing, uh, that's that's not that's not terrible. Super Bowl winning teams have had that bad of a defense. I mean, Dallas right now is fifth in total offense. So, uh, fifth in total offense and 21st in total defense. Super Bowl teams have done that before. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'll tell you what Super Bowl teams have never done. Uh, won a Super Bowl with a bottom five defense. In fact, Tony, 
only one team has ever been in the bottom five in total defense to end a season and gone to a Super Bowl, and that's the 2011 New England Patriots that lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. Arguably, they were a Super Bowl team. At least I think they are because if you look at the road that the Patriots had from from getting into the playoffs to that Super Bowl, I mean, they didn't play exactly a, a bunch of juggernauts. They beat Tim Tebow's uh, Denver Broncos. I mean, if I remember correctly, it was like 45-7. to seven. Um, and then they go into uh, Baltimore and they lose. They don't win that game. They 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 don't they don't lose that game on a excuse me a Lee Evans drop. So that's something to think about with the oh. Patriots or excuse me with the Oakland Raiders. And I actually wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Oakland as well because uh, I know you're a big Derek Carr fan, and uh, you know a lot of people would predict Dallas Oakland in the, in the um, Super Bowl this year. But what do you think about Oakland and their chances? Yeah, and real quick to your point on Lee Evans, I remember that game. That was so heartbreaking for that guy. He had it in his hands and just he completely dropped it. Uh, that was awful. But uh, Oakland, uh, if you look out, if you look throughout NFL history, you've seen it with franchises how they build, they take steps. You gotta you gotta learn to crawl and then walk before you can run. I feel Oakland's the same way. I feel like they have a great team, a great offense, if you will. Their defense is terrible. I. Yes, Khalil Mack had an amazing game the other day. The only player in NFL history besides Charles Woodson, I believe he had a uh, fumble recovery, a touchdown return, a sack, and an interception all in the same game, which is just amazing, mind-boggling. But besides him, I mean, that defense is putrid. They're up on Carolina, which this year, Carolina, let's call it spade a spade. Carolina is a bad team this year. They're up 24-7 to on Carolina. Yeah. And I know David Carr went out for a series because, you know, he had that gruesome pinky injury, which you haven't seen it. Check it out. It's it gross but awesome. Just shows what a gamer he is. Mm-hmm. A lot of the team loves playing for him. But, uh, yeah, it's, you can't let a bad team like that back into the game. It just shows how bad their defense is. And I, I can't – push cards to shove, I can't see them beating New England, especially the games in New England with that defense. I feel Brady will just pick them apart. I know, too. It, it's hard because the Pats just lost Gronk, probably for the season with back surgery. So it's it's really yep. hard to see, like, in the pecking order, who's going to get that number one seed in the AFC and have home field. And the Raiders, they have Buffalo this week, but their schedule gets really tough after that. They have, they're have at KC, at San Diego, Indy at home, and then at Denver to close out the season. So three division rivals all on the road. I mean, if they want to get that number one seed and get home field, they're truly going to have to earn it because that's a very, very tough slate. Yeah, I agree with you. They're dead last in the league and sacks tied with Cleveland for dead last in the league with 17. So if they're not getting to the quarterback, that is uh, an absolute problem. And that's actually kind of amazing that they're at the bottom of the league in sacks considering the fact that they uh, have a man on their defense named Khalil Mack and another guy on their defense named Bruce Irvin. Uh, who are supposed to be sack specialists. Khalil Mack starting to heat up now, but he started really slow at the beginning of the year. Um, but, yeah, 17 sacks just isn't going to get it done. I mean, the league leader in sacks right now, um, and it, I literally just lost the page and, and, and too dumb to remember, but uh, the league leader in sacks is 35, um, which uh, for the life of me, I'm drawing an absolute blank on who has 35 sacks this year, um, and it's going to bug me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refresh it. And it is very obviously Denver. <laughs> How did I know that? Not know that. And Buffalo second with 33, Seattle third with 31. Um, but yeah, I mean Denver not creating pressure. 
uh, or excuse me, Denver. Oakland not creating pressure is definitely going to be a problem if they do have to play play the uh, Patriots in uh, in the playoffs at any point. Um, and the way it looks, it might be in the AFC Championship if that does happen. Um, so, uh, I mean, do you think they're a little bit of fool's gold then? I I wouldn't call Oakland fool's gold necessarily. Like they're really good on offense. It's really putrid on defense. If they can yeah. control the clock more and, you know, maybe you take a page out of Dallas' book and just eat up time of possession, because they have a really good offensive line, too. They just use uh, Latavius Murray more and just eat up that clock and control the tempo of the game. I feel like they could take some pressure off their defense. But it, they don't really they don't really go that way. It's more of the passing game with them and, you know, a quick score and then turn it back over to the other team's offense and just – it becomes a shootout, you know. And uh, I like their chances against most any team in a shootout except New England. It's just, at the end of the day, it's Tom Brady, man. and That's the last guy in the world you want to get into a shootout with. Yeah, because you're not going to win. Although they, we did just find out today a little bit of breaking news from today. Rob Gronkowski is going to be out the rest of the year where they, uh, after getting back surgery, apparently his injury is way worse than most people thought. So that's definitely going to hurt their chances. But at the same time, I still like them because Tom Brady has taken – taking snaps. Malcolm Mitchell is starting to come into his own. You know, the Patriots have been looking for this type of guy for a long time. They've been looking, they've been going like uh, uh, with these, uh, the Brandon LaFells and like, they've been looking for these, this, this sort of uh, game breaking speeds, the receiver that doesn't drop passes and, and can move the chains and, and sort of spread the, uh, spread the defense a little bit. And I think they found it in Malcolm Mitchell. I mean, that one pass in the Niners game that Brady threw for one should have been intercepted if Eric Reed was looking the other way. And two, Malcolm Mitchell took that ball and took off. He outran everybody. That was super impressive. And I, I, I think that that guy is going to be the X factor, especially with Gronk out, because the guy that would stretch the field for the Patriots was Gronk. And uh, now that Gronk's out, Malcolm Mitchell obviously nowhere near Gronk's level. But, you know, a guy that can spread the, or stretch, the, stretch the defense like that, I think is going to be really important for the Patriots going forward. So, you know, another bullet dodged by them by uh, essentially, you know, at least having Malcolm Mitchell fill that role that Gronk filled. So, um, you know, good on them for that because, I mean, they have underneath guys for days. They still have another, uh, you know, above average tight end. Granted, again, he's no Gronk, but – I think with LeGarrette Blunt, Deion Lewis, James White, I mean, they, they have the ability to chew the clock. Their offensive line is, you know, good, not great. Um, and, and I think, I think you know, their defensive woes can be overcome just by controlling the clock. I mean, nobody's more accurate inside of 10 yards than Tom Brady. I mean, a short pass is just like a run. And with LeGarrette Blunt pounding the offensive line, um, Deion Lewis can do a lot of things out of the backfield, catching the ball. And James White, good change of pace guy. So I, I think they can keep the, uh, the Oakland's offensive up the field if they do play them. Um, and and I, I think I agree with you 100%. I, I don't think that uh, Oakland can hang with New England if they want to get into a quote-unquote shootout. I just don't think it'll happen. Yeah, and I'll make my final point on New England. There's one key, uh, key fact about New England you're leaving out. Look on their sideline. Who who's under who's in the hoodie? Who's in on the headset for New England? I was gonna say that, but I know you wanted to get a word in and I was gonna say there's no way in the hell Jack Del Rio, as good as Jack Del Rio is, is gonna outcoach that man. Nobody is. The only person yeah. the only the only I don't even want to say person. I think the only the only two things that have ever affected Bill Belichick are Tom Coughlin and and Denver Stadium. And maybe Kansas City Stadium a little bit. But yeah, I I, I for whatever reason he, he were 
I don't know what it is about Coughlin had Belichick's number. And I wouldn't even say had it because I think they split. I think they were three and three um, uh, against each other. So they sort of split it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just the Giants have always played Belichick and the Patriots very well. And uh, I'm not saying that because I'm a, I'm a homer. I'm just saying that if you look at everybody else's record against Belichick, um, hard pressed to find somebody that's played Belichick better than Tom Coughlin. And and for whatever reason, if they go if, now, it'd be interesting to see if in the second round they end up playing Denver. And uh, obviously the game will be in Denver, but Denver has just historically given them fits. I mean. New England, most likely, if they are going to play an away playoff game, it would, it would at this point be in Oakland. But uh, I'm not I'm not holding my breath that that's going to hold. I think they're going to end up with a one seed, and I think they're going to have home field advantage throughout because they're not going to make the mistake they made last year, having to go to Denver, losing home field advantage to Denver in Week 17. So um, I definitely think that uh, I definitely think that New England is going to have a home field throughout. And again, I think that's why they're going to be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and compared to Oakland, the Pats have a much easier schedule, too, which will help. I mean, they got the Rams. That's a bona fide win. Uh, Ravens Monday night, that could be tough, but I'm taking the Pats on that at home. At Denver, that could be a loss, but then they finish up with the Jets at home and at Miami. I mean, at that point, hey, come on. Let's, let's yeah, be honest here. But they're going to finish the season 13-3. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm excited for some of these playoff races. The great thing, too, is that – all these teams, you know, looking to win their division, the wild cards, all these teams end up playing each other, which just makes for great football. As bad as, as mediocre as the football has been all year, we're getting to the, you know, the final stretch of the season, and the games are just getting so good. Those Thanksgiving games, Detroit-Minnesota, that was a great game. Dallas-Washington, another great game. Pittsburgh-Indy, eh, but, I mean, Andrew Luck was out. And then, uh, my God, that Sunday nighter between Kansas City and Denver, I mean – I had to stay up all night and get up at four in the morning, but I wasn't even mad about it because that game going into overtime was was amazing. Two great defenses, lead changes, going back and forth. It, I'm excited, man. It's it's about time we're getting some good quality football. Yeah, and I, I actually, as as you were talking, I was liking it to Khalil Mack season because Khalil Mack started out. You're like, what the hell's wrong with Khalil Mack? Like with the NFL season, what the hell's wrong with the NFL season? And then it's just it's it's gotten hot fire. And I really want to say that that has been kicked. That was kicked off by the Dallas uh, Pittsburgh game. That was the best game all year. And then now that's probably like third or fourth. Um. So yeah, it's been interesting. So uh, flipping to the NFC, and I brought up the term fool's gold before the Giants. I want to get your opinion because you're a Cowboys fan, but you're not a biased Cowboys fan. You could admit when a when when a team is a good team and when a team isn't a good team. So as of right now, I'm not overly confident about the Giants' hollow eight and three record. They do some things well. The defense is coming on. Uh, Eli's looked better. He hasn't turned the ball over in a couple games. But at the same time, they played some cupcakes. Uh, they played a very down Philly team with a rookie quarterback. They and barely won. Uh, Chicago was in control of the game for the first quarter and a half. Um, you know, the Cleveland score was 27-13, but that was a lot closer of a game than, uh, than the score would indicate. So the Giants finished the year uh, at Pittsburgh, home for Detroit, uh, or excuse me, uh, home for Dallas, home for Detroit. They go at Philly, at Washington to close out the year. All cold weather games for a team that doesn't really have a solid run game and doesn't have their offensive line together yet. So how do you see the rest of the season playing out for the Giants? Well, and you talk about cold weather, too. I mean, Eli Eli's a great quarterback, but let's be honest, too. You Cold weather, that wind starts whipping. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. 
and he's been known to underthrow his receivers quite a bit. So that has to worry you a little bit. Um, yes, they're eight and three record. They have played some cupcakes. It's a little soft at times, but the bottom line, I mean, they are eight and three. They're five and three in the conference. They're a game and a half up on the Redskins because of that god awful atrocious tie, which just screws everything up. Um, their next three yeah. games, I mean, this is where they can prove themselves. You, you want to be considered a good team. You want eyeballs on you. You want to get some credit. Next three games at Pittsburgh, Dallas, Detroit, all potential playoff teams, if not for sure playoff teams. I mean, there you go right there. If you if you want to win, win two of those three, you're 10-4, and four, and then you, you finish up with Philly and Washington. It's all right in front of you. Just win, man. I mean, they don't need help from anybody else. They control their own destiny. They're two games up on everybody else but the Redskins. But they also play the Redskins at the end. So, I mean, like I said, just, you know, win the games that you need to win. Just go out there and beat some of these teams. It's all in front of you. I I think they are a good team. I don't know how good, but that's what's great about the schedule. We're going to find out in two or three weeks. Yeah, and I actually I agree with you 100%. If they can go 3-2 and two in these next uh, handful of games, finish the season 11-5, I'll feel a lot better about them going to the playoffs. But – um, the Steelers line is a lot higher than you, people would think, and I don't. I, I'm curious what Vegas knows that the rest of us don't, because the Steelers line right now, they're Steelers are favored by six. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel 100 percent great about that. Um, I, I mean, I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost willing to concede defeat to Dallas, although you know, Giants are the only team to beat Dallas so far. But that was in Dak's very first game. Elliott wasn't going yet. Alfred Morris came in, and uh, <laughs> you know sort of prove that it was Elliot, you know, sort of getting a little bit ahead of himself. And, you know, he's since slowed down and uh, has been able to uh, pick his holes rather than trying to sprint to him. He's getting a lot more patient. But Alfred Morris was hitting those holes, and they were there. Elliot just wasn't hitting him in the Giants game. Um, obviously, it's, everything's turned around. <laughs> he's been okay with Elliot. But, um, <clears throat> so here's what, here's what worries me about the Giants, right, is – is the running game. Now they get Shane Marine back. Uh, they think they're going to get him back in week 14. So they're going to have him for the last three games of the year. But Shane Marine isn't a, you know, a uh, ground and pound, you know, uh, he's not an Ezekiel Elliott type running back. He's a gadget player. He's a better version of Kevin Falk. And I think getting him back is going to help. Now here's, here's an X factor for the Giants though. Um, I'm not, I, I don't know how much of the Giants game you watched, but did you see Odell Beckham returning punts? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It almost seems like they're just trying to, you know, give a quick shot in the arm to the special teams and just get that offense clicking. I, I, I like it. I mean, he's, he's your best player. He's the most electric player on the field. Um, I worry a little bit about him maybe getting hurt, but, you know, push comes to shove. If the guy's right on top, you just call a fair catch. But I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I, I dig the move. I think it's a smart move. I think that's going to – I think keeping him there is going to – be a huge, huge X factor. He took one for a touchdown that was a hold away from the ball on Mark Hertzlick. And then the other one he took for quite a bit, that was hold and brought back. Odell Beckham, every time he's, he's returned a punt and had a little bit of room, has been absolutely dynamite. I think getting the ball in Odell Beckham's hands as much as humanly possible is absolutely the move for the Giants. I mean, he'll swing a game. How many in the Ravens game? I mean, they single-handedly won that game because of Odell Beckham. And Odell Beckham taking slants, no less. So, I think Eli's arm strength will actually be, uh, I think, trying to throw the ball down the field. You saw it in the Cleveland game. 
I, he's just not good at it anymore. And, and that's fine. I mean, Brady's not good at throwing the ball down the field either. And, you know, that's, that's okay. And, but I think quick passes to Beckham, quick passes to Shepard. They actually ran a really nice uh, reverse of Sterling Shepard. He took for 22 yards. Um, you know, Cruz isn't really as big of a factor in the offense anymore, unfortunately. Will Ty is a nice running back. Um, I think they're going to get creative, I hope. And, uh, I, I mean, they would have to with the uh, – I'm going to steal this from Mike Lombardi, the Cheesecake Factory menu of a play sheet that Ben McAdoo has with the post-its on it, which is absolutely hilarious that he has post-it notes. But, um, but yeah, I, I think they'll get a little bit of – they'll get creative. I think they'll get the ball in their playmaker's hands. I mean, if the Giants get Shane Freen back, I do like their chances um, a little bit more. But, you know, I am worried that this 8-3 and three could fall to 8-7 and seven pretty quickly. Um, or nine and you know nine and six going into the last game of the year. Um, I mean, by splitting the next two, I actually think they're I think they're a better team than Pittsburgh. I know that sounds blasphemous, but Pittsburgh talking about a team without a defense. I mean, that defense is worse than uh, or uh, down there with Oakland. Um, I don't like Pittsburgh's defense at all. Not one player on their defense gets me excited with the with the with the exception of Ryan Shazier, um, and he doesn't play much because he's excuse me hurt a lot. Um, the Lions, they're interesting. Um, like the Giants, they can't really run the ball, so I'm not really overly concerned about that. I'm not really overly concerned about uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Washington scares me because of what they did to Dallas on Thanksgiving. Uh, ben, don't break defense works for uh, Rad, Rod Marinelli-led defense. And Spagnola is really good at, uh, you know, getting creative with blitzes. But I don't know, man. Washington just, for whatever reason, have been in the Giants' head for uh, a couple of years, even pre-Josh Norman. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Um, my prediction yeah. is they finish 10-6, first round of the playoffs, and uh, maybe play uh, maybe play Dallas in the second round, which would be uh, a lot of fun for you and I, since we have a very interesting bet on that. So, um, but if that time comes, we'll uh, we'll talk about the bet. So, yeah, um, and real quick, uh, uh, go ahead. I just I just thought of uh, how funny it is now that uh, with Bob McAdoo for the coaching for the Giants and uh, Doug Peterson of Philly. How crazy is it now that Jason Garrett seems like the most confident head coach in the NFC? I don't think I would ever have seen the day that would happen. No, no. Well, he the, hasn't been put the in ginger. a uh, time management situation. Yeah, the, he hasn't been put in a time management uh, situation. It's Ben McAdoo. Bob McAdoo was a uh, NBA player um, in the uh, 70s, uh, ABA player. Um, but uh, Ben McAdoo. Uh, Peterson, oh man, he might be the worst coach. He went from being like the most promising new coach in the league through six weeks to maybe the worst coach in uh, in the NFC. I mean, that was bad. Uh, he was he's been bad. I, I'm drawing an absolute blank on the big mistake. He, oh, he challenged. He had no chance. He had one challenge left, and then he challenged a two yard play in the third quarter, and he already lost one. So no matter what happened on that challenge, he just wasn't going to get one. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, what? What? I, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. Like what? I don't know. He he's made a lot yeah. of weird boneheaded uh, things too. He went for it on a he went for it instead of kicking field goals on uh, a couple fourth and shorts it, deep inside Giants territory that ended up losing him that game too. So he's made some weird choices. Um, but you know you're right, Jason Garrett. I mean, I just don't see a better option for coach of the year. You can say Jack Del Rio, Belichick's always in the mix, but I think what Jason Garrett's done with the offense this year, him along with Scott Linehan, that offense has been just nothing short of impressive. And I'm I'm you know. I, I would feel good about Jason Garrett get Jason Garrett getting that award this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, uh, do you want to talk uh, Kansas City and uh, Tyreek Hill there? You want to get into that? 
You know what? Let's just get into the NFL in general about this. So, um, yeah. Tyreek Hill, if, if those of you that don't know, Tyreek Hill was uh, the, uh, the NFL Twitter account, Twitter handle, correct? Or their, uh, their Twitter picture. Um, he, yes, he, he was their cover page. He was plastered all over. Yeah. They're, you know, they're tweeting him out, like, you know, look at this exciting game. And that was – yeah, it was him running down the field. I believe it was returning uh, a kick for a touchdown and high-fiving his teammate, which is complete hypocrisy by the league. I'll let you go into that a little more. Well, well, well hold on. Well, let, let's stop here because Terry Kill is the reason they won that game, right? He's the first player in, what, over 10 years to have uh, one rushing touchdown, one receiving touchdown, and a return touchdown, correct? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, but don't get me wrong. I'm not judging him on his talent. I'm judging no, no, no. the NFL on what this. they hold right. What, what they supposedly yeah. are against and what they're for and what they're against. Right. Now, see, here's here's where I'm going with this. Okay, so in a normal situation, uh, and you know what, let's give it a little bit more backstory. For those of you who don't know, Tyreek Hill in college had one of the, had one of the most dramatic returns, the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game. He played for Oklahoma State. He won that game, very similar to what he did for the Chiefs. He won that game against Oklahoma, against a better Oklahoma team. He single-handedly won that game for Oklahoma State on Saturday. Smash cut to the Tuesday. He gets in an argument with his girlfriend over a text message, and um, it ends with him punching her in the stomach repeatedly, choking her for what she said is over a minute, all while being eight weeks pregnant with his child. So Tyreek Hill... Uh, an absolute, just atrocious human being. An atrocious human being. Scumbag. But sense going to anger management, et cetera. Yes. Um, not excusing it at all. Not excusing it at all. 1,000% not excusing it. But has taken the steps to, you know, get better. Again, not excusing it. He's a terrible person. Doesn't belong in the NFL. So my theory is that for there's one of two things, I guess. Either they're dumb and put him up there not knowing his backstory, or they knew his backstory, Andy Reid vouched for him, and they put him up there thinking nobody would say anything, which they're either insulting themselves or they're insulting the rest of us. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I'm, what's, your, what's your theory on why they put him on there? The NFL, man, I've said it before, it's more lip service, where they talk about how – they're for women and they're against domestic violence. And then they prop up this guy who is worse than Ray Rice and on the same level as Greg Hardy. It's mind-boggling to me, the hypocrisy. It's like the NFL Twitter, whoever handles the NFL Twitter or their social media, it's like the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing. But the right hand, the administration of Roger Goodell is like, we're against domestic violence. We want to hold our, our players to a higher standard. And then the left hand's over here like, oh, well, this is an exciting play. Let's, let's put him up as our cover photo and prop this up. And it's not just a domestic violence thing, which I, I feel very strongly about. I think, you know, never put your hands on a woman. It's just there's no excuse, bottom line. But then on top of it, too, the NFL is worrying about these, uh, these exorbitant celebrations and they're fining and flagging players left and right for it. The guy's returning a kick, walking down the sideline, stride for stride with his teammates, and they're high-fiving each other, basically holding hands like it's a prom night. Like, are you kidding me? NFL, make up your mind. You're either against it or just leave it alone. Like, where, where do they stand? They're the most wishy-washy organization I've ever seen. It, it, oh, my God, it's so frustrating to think about 
just the plain hypocrisy of it. it it's yeah, they're they're an extremely hypocritical organization because yeah, the Josh the Josh uh, Brown thing was handled just ineptly, right? So Roger Goodell. You know, we don't really need to get into the meat and potatoes of the Ray Rice incident. We don't need to get into the meat and potatoes of the Greg Hardy incident. Everybody knows that it's all well documented. Adrian Peterson, you know, scumbag in his, in his own right. Um, so what? I guess I don't understand what the NFL is. I guess what's wrong and what's right. So I, I'll just give you an example. I saw a meme. All right, Tyreek Hill did all this stuff in college. So he – you know, and I know people always want to take law and morality and make them one, but they're not. He did not commit any of these 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 heinous incidences. Did not happen as an employee of the National Football League. So, understandably, he was not suspended. So, take that off the plate, okay? Look at it from a legal point of view, as a disciplinary point of view, not with any kind of morality. So, if you separate the two, he is, you know, not suspended. So, understandable, not suspended or whatever. Although. I, I do believe Terrell Pryor served a suspension for uh, his issues at Ohio State um, after the whole uh, tattoo for money Jim Trestle thing. I want to say he served a suspension in the NFL. Another example of the NFL's hypocrisy. So that aside, there's a gentleman on the Buffalo Bills named Sean Charles Henderson who has Crohn's disease, a very serious disorder that, uh, that you know somebody you and I know who probably is listening to this podcast right now. Big shout out to Mike. Um, I can't pronounce your last name, Mike, uh, but uh, big shout-out to Mike. Um, has Crohn's disease. Chantra uh, Henderson, Mike as well, but, you know, Chantra uh, Henderson has Crohn's disease, is using medical marijuana to treat it. Very normal treatment for uh, Crohn's disease by uh, by the very small amount that I read on uh, Wikipedia. Suspended for 10 games. Was suspended for four, tested positive again, suspended for 10. Where I am confused is how Ray Rice got two games. Two games before the videotape came out, right? Two games. Again, this is going back to this again. Josh Norman, Josh Norman, Josh Gordon was suspended for. How many times is Josh Norman? Josh, I keep saying Josh Norman. Josh Gordon suspended for marijuana. Three, four, ten. Uh, and a season? The first time I believe it's it was almost two. Almost... And then, yeah, and then it was a year, ten. and then it was another year because he just kept failing. To no, no, no. Up. No, it was ten because he came back. He came back towards the end of the season, and it wasn't that good. Remember when they had Manziel towards the end of the year? So I want to say he came back, and then he was suspended again for a year for having – I think he had – he got drug tested right after drinking. He had alcohol in the system. Um, And when you're in a league substance abuse policy or substance abuse program, you can't have anything in your system, and he did. He had alcohol. Uh, Not anything above the league limiting how the DUI, whatever, suspended for a year. Um, So the the NFL is just just extremely hypocritical. You can't – you can't sell things for pink or sell things that are pink with an NFL logo on it, you know, make a whole bunch of money, give what, uh, you know, 50% of 1% to whatever foundation you're using as a tax write-off. And at the same time, uh, fine, you know, even find Josh Norman, and I don't like Josh Norman. You know, we were going to talk about this on the show, but we decided, or I, I guess organically we decided not to. I don't know if we ever said we weren't going to. But, but I mean, he gets suspended, or he gets fined constantly. Antonio Brown for twerking gets gets fined. 
you get you get you get ejected from a game, which is essentially a partial game suspension, depending on when your when your infractions occur within the course of the game. You get two face mask penalties, you're ejected from the game, and then you're fined a substantial amount. How in the hell does Josh Brown get suspended for a game for domestic violence, systematic domestic violence that goes on for years, one year, one game, and you get two face mask penalties, and you're suspended for almost the same amount of time? That's that's I guess where my issue is because there's it's not even transparency. There's just no there's no outline. There's, there's no like oh there's no rhyme or reason right it. now. So this is what you're getting. There's, there's no rhythm. There's no anything. It, yeah, yeah. It, it, honestly, it, there needs to be just like a chart. Like I'll relate it to a real life thing. I love Subway. I go to Subway a lot. I earn my <laughs> Subway points cards, and they have a list. At the cash register, 10 points, free cookie. 75 points, free six-inch stuff. 100 points, free foot-long stuff. They need some kind of um, – just take some stupid little formula and use that. You do this, this many games. You do this, this many games. And it should be ranked of the degree of, like, the atrocity of, you know, the penalty or crime you committed. This, oh, my God, it's not rocket science. This is – the fact that we still have to talk about this is mind-boggling and angering. Because they just they can't get out of their own way and get it right, and it feels like at the end of the day they just don't give a damn. Yeah, I know, I hundred percent agreed with you. And uh, Roger Goodell's been the commissioner of the NFL since what two thousand seven. You know, he's done incredible things from the business sense, but I guess from the hearts and minds, it's just it, it's been an absolute grease fire. Why he is making discipline his his main thing, like trying to be the cowboy. Uh, commissioner that he that he's trying to bet or that he's at least tried to show that he is. I'm going to come in and rule an iron fist. It's like, all right, Putin, you're not because there's no. I mean, there's just no system in place as to how you as to how you discipline these players. Like, it, it's absurd. I don't understand how a twerking penalty or two face masks in a game get you ejected and get you the same amount as a guy that beats his wife, a reported reported wife abuser. So bad that the NFL had to move his wife, and the worst part is the kids. All right, he had to move his wife and kids to a separate hotel, not tell them where they're at, while in Hawaii on vacation at the effing Pro Bowl because you had one too many drinks and you can't control your temper. But that guy gets one game as a journal that he wrote for counseling saying, I've abused my wife, and then that piece of shit has the audacity to go on television and not take responsibility for it. Says it's important to note that I never physically struck my wife. Irrelevant for one, yes, you did. Two, and, and three, you're a terrible human being. He took no responsibility for it. That guy got suspended one game, which I now believe he's out of the NFL. But that's only after pressure from everybody else, like the Ray Rice thing. I mean, we're, again, we're not going to rehash the Ray Rice thing. We're just bringing it up for a reference point, and it's the easiest one to bring up because it was two games. Saw a video. Oh no, you're suspended for the year, and he's got from the Ravens. So. I don't know. Whatever, man. I really don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's just move on to something else. Yeah, uh, um, your topic. Go ahead. Um, I got for you. We don't talk a ton of baseball. I love baseball. To be honest, it's kind of boring. But uh, great news today. Fantastic news. Uh, with the new um, bargaining agreement Major League Baseball has, they have decided to drop the ridiculous rule where the winner of the All-Star game it's home field advantage in the World Series. I cannot agree with this decision more. I love it. It will now be um, the AL pennant winner versus the NL pennant winner. Team with a better record, it's home field advantage, which in this past World Series would have meant the Cubbies would have had 
home field advantage and would have been able to win the World Series at home, which would have been would have been you know the right way to do it. And I couldn't be happier about this. That is the stupidest rule in all of sports. Oh, ridiculous! That was the. It's not even close. Like as far it's as an exhibition game, game in, 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 yeah, I, I just. And it was a knee-jerk reaction from the 2002 All-Star game that ended in a tie. I, I, maybe I'm getting the year wrong, but I know it was that All-Star game that ended in no, a tie, and yep. people were upset. Who cares? Yep. It was 2002? Yep. 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 Yeah, the one in Milwaukee. Yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yep. That is the stupidest thing ever. That was a knee-jerk reaction by a fossil of a commissioner in Bud Sealing. I actually like Rob yep. Manfred a lot. I think he's doing very, very interesting things. Remember a couple of years ago that the NHL, when they had a, the season-long strike, and they came back and they decided to make all these rule changes to make the game faster and more exciting? Rob Manfred really needs to have a uh, lunch with Gary Bettman and try to figure out how the hell he pulled that off. Because baseball is borderline unwatchable. I like the pitch clock. I think that's interesting. The the replay, I don't even know why the hell they have it, because they'll replay it. Everybody will see something one way. The the umpires all do is confirm their terrible decision. I saw the replay is stupid with umpires. MLB umpires are the worst, the worst people as far as referees go. Maybe not the worst at calling games, because I actually think a home plate umpire has one of the hardest jobs in sports. Very underratedly difficult. But... They're just, I mean, they, they, oh, you're yelling at me. You have to leave. Like, I hate that. Like, I, don't don't you think NBA refs wish they could toss Doc Rivers the other night when he was, like, going on the floor and had to be held back? Like, what was Doc Rivers going to do if he got in that, umpire, or in that referee's face? But anyway, I, I, I digress. Um, I'm, I have a lot of issues that I need to talk I need to just do a show where I just get all these issues off my chest. But, um, but no, I agree that that is awesome. Um, and I like what my, Rob Manfred's doing. I think he's doing, I think he's, opening his mind. He's being a little bit more creative than uh, Bud Selig was. Um, and uh, that's good. That's good for, that's great news for baseball. The Cubs deserved a uh, world series win at home, but I'm sure they're fine with uh, the end result that they got. Yeah. But uh, yep. It's great. I'm excited for, it. Uh, we'll bring, uh, we'll go into next our uh, pick of the week, our worst game pick of the week. And uh, I won last night, but I, uh, I snapped the losing streak, buddy. Finally. Yeah, I, I, I'm i pumped. So, um, we, we, we talked about, you know, the winner gets to pick something off of Netflix for the loser, but I'm going to make an addendum to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to include the yeah. WWE Network because, you know, I am a booger-eating wrestling fan, tried and true. I, I love me some WWE. So, uh, I'm going to give you my WWE Network sign-on, and you are going to watch – a great WWE 24 documentary, basically their version of E60. Uh, Seth Rollins, redesign, rebuild, reclaim. Uh, basically, after sustaining a career-threatening injury, uh, Seth Rollins, in a match against Kane, tried to do a, a sunset flip powerbomb off the top rope, came down, landed awkwardly, finished the match, which is amazing to me, after tearing his ACL, his MCL, and his PCL ligament. Uh, basically, nice. it's just shows you behind the scenes how he grew up, his inspiration, how he, they call him CrossFit Jesus because he's just a workout freak. But it shows his grueling yeah. six-month rehabilitation to repair that knee and get back in ring shape and back into action, which for an ACL tear to come back in six months and then be back on the road full-time. And, you, yes, people, you can say it's fake all you want. They still travel over 300 days a year. The injuries they get are real. These are athletes. It is amazing what they do. 
but to come back after six months after such a gruesome injury and to heal and to be better than ever, at, I love human interest pieces like that. So I, I found it interesting. I know, Bill, you're not a huge wrestling fan. You don't know a ton about it, but, you know, they'll give you all the background. I think you'll actually enjoy this one. Uh, yeah, I look forward to it. So that's, that's, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I will watch it hundred percent. Um, so you, just as a friendly reminder, you have to watch, you remember the movie that I had you watch? Uh, or that uh, the I, dog I fight? Yes. And, uh, you gave me one with Robin Williams as well. And it's on my list for Netflix. Um, oh, world's greatest dad. Yes. Yeah. If we weren't going to a certain, uh, Christmas party for our work, in Connecticut this weekend, I would be watching them this weekend. Hopefully, get to it on Monday or Tuesday. Yep, understandable. That's uh, you get a pass considering uh, you've had an eventful last handful of days. So uh, I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna bust your balls too bad this week. Next week I will. And uh, I did I did promise you a song, but I am gonna open the show with it next week um, because uh, we are a little pressed for time. So this week we are gambling on. We, you already did this, I think, but I was uh, I was looking up something for you. Um, San Francisco at Chicago. You have Chicago winning, and you take the you took the points at one and a half. So Chicago has to win by one and a half, or or one point, or excuse me, two points or more in order for you to win this bet. Um, I do not. This is such an awful game. Such a, such a bad. This is game. a terrible game. Hey, is uh, that God, I don't even have any, any interest in watching this. Yeah, <laughs> bad. Is Matt Barkley the best quarterback from USC in the NFL right now? Uh, Cody Kessler, Carson Palmer, um, uh, Matt Barkley, obviously, uh, well, Mark Sanchez, and uh, there's one more who I'm drawing an absolute blank on right now. Uh, we'll see. This will be the test. Uh, fun fact, though, this series all time is all tied up at 30, 30, and one tie. So it's, the Niners are 1 and 10, the Bears are 2 and 9. I, I the only real reason I took the Bears is because they're at home. I mean, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. Um, honestly, too, this Kaepernick's is the second a, overall pick bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. It, it, Kaepernick's had a pretty decent year. I mean, he's only played I think maybe like six or seven games, but he's got 1,400 yards, ten touchdowns, three picks. Uh, Barkley in his last game, yeah. uh, 28 for 54, 316, three touchdowns, two picks. I mean, not bad game. You know, I basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I basically flipped the coin and took the Bears. I guess because they're at home, and uh, you know. And I oh, oh, and another reason too. I watched the uh, I am uh, uh, I am Chris Farley documentary the other day, and the skit where he does da Bears. I guess I was feeling some nostalgia for him. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Understandable. Uh, all right, you got some entertainment picks. Uh, I'm actually going to let you go first because I think mine might be able to top yours for once. I have three, so it's a doubtful. Oh, wow. So, um, All right. Yeah, I have three. All right. Um, first one is Wiener. It's a documentary about uh, <laughs> um, disgraced politician Anthony Wiener. Um, oh, okay. Man, I was fascinating. Where fascinating documentary. Good Lord. That is one of the most fascinating documentaries I've seen in a while. If you want to uh, experience awkward marital couple moments, this is your movie because the problem with Anthony Weiner is he's so likable in this movie. Even after you know everything you know about him, he's still likable. And uh, and then you learn more and more about him. And then it's like, well, this guy, not, not, not a great guy. 
So I have that. I have, my wife and I went on a, uh, a date last weekend, and we went and saw the movie The Edge of Seventeen with uh, Haley Steinfeld, who um, you might remember as a little girl from True Grit. It was fantastic in that movie. She was in Pitch Perfect too. Meh. But Edge of Seventeen, don't be surprised if this uh, this performance by her gets her a little Oscar buzz. And uh, Woody Harrelson is the comic relief in this movie, and loved love me some Woody Harrelson. White Man Can't Jump is my favorite sports movie of all time. And uh, last but certainly not least. The funniest scene you will see in a movie in 2016 belongs to Zootopia. Disney Zootopia has a scene that takes place in a DMV that made me laugh harder than I may have laughed all year. That was the funniest thing I've seen in quite some time. It involves the DMV, and it involves sloths, and it is the funniest thing you will see. That's it for me. What do you got? Oh, that sounds great. And uh, I I am intrigued by the uh, Wiener documentary. I even wrote it down oh, on my notes. Fantastic. Uh, well, here's the funny thing. I wrote it down on my notes. I circled it and put stars around it. So God forbid if, uh, you know, my lady or the mother-in-law have to find this. And like, what's this about a wiener documentary? We have to talk. So I, I look forward <laughs> to that possibly going wrong for me. But um, anybody that knows me, I like to goof around. I like to have fun. I, you know, I, I try not to keep go, get too serious. But with my entertainment pick, I am going to uh, get serious on this one. Um, uh, for those who, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's in sports has seen it by now, but um, the uh, the Jim Valvano SB speech from, I believe it was 1993, for those who don't know, Jim Valvano 84. was a coach. At, I think it's 84, right? Oh, yeah. no, 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 you're right, you're right. You 84, 84 is when he, NC State won the title. Sorry. Yes, thank you. Thank you for just running over that when I'm trying to be emotional and serious here, Bill. I appreciate that, buddy. But, uh, no, uh, back on track here. The SD speech uh, that he gave, he, he had maybe months to live. Um, he was the coach at NC State, dying of cancer. It, it One of the most emotional, passionate, greatest, I, greatest speeches of our lifetime. I hold it right up there with anything else. Go watch that. If you're not moved by that speech, then you are just a sociopath. I, I, every time I watch that speech, I honestly, I, I tear up. It's, it's the most heartfelt and deep thing you will ever hear. And with all everything going on in the world, I feel like we all just need to take some time to just sit back and remember what's truly important. And yeah, if I can quote the great Jim Belvano, we should all do three things every day. We should laugh. And we should have our emotions moved to tears. And I have done quite a bit of that the last few days, some soul searching with things going on in my life. And whether, you know, have your emotions moved to tears, whether it's happiness or whether it's sadness, just, you know, go watch it. It's, I can't say enough about it. It's, it's it, it hits you deep, man. It's a great speech. Tyreek Hill would hate that speech. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Uh, but uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to add a little bit of levity to this because I'm, no, not, no, I'm not in fine. the mood to be emotional right now. So I apologize. Hey, I had to make that terrible joke. Hey, uh, you're real quick. You're though, You'll never find me. You know that. It's very, it's very difficult. I made a very inappropriate joke about your situation earlier today, and you weren't even offended by that. That's okay. So I'm very, uh, very happy about that. 
Apropos of the Tyreek Hill thing, though, I actually wanted to actually made that joke so I remembered, um, or thought of that joke so I'd remember what to tell you. Tyreek Hill's uh, son, by the way, did live, and he is adorable uh, because I did uh, find the girl and Twitter, and uh, the kid looks sadly just like Tyreek Hill, but in the most adorable way possible. So uh, thank God that kid lived because, like I said, he is as cute as a button. So, uh, But, again, I have a soft spot for children. Uh, considering I have one, and uh, children and dogs. I don't really care about adults much, but uh, children and dogs, big, big, uh, big. Phil's old heart is filled with uh, love for those two things. So um, uh, anyway, um, that's a little about me. Uh, Tony, do you have anything else to add before we uh, end this uh, show? Oh, let's get to the plug, man. To quote the great Phil Burr, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Tony Cuse 44. He is at Bill K Eagle. We are at Under the Hoodie. Guys, please, we appreciate you listening. We want your feedback, positive, negative. If you know us on Facebook, hit us up there. Hit us up at Twitter. Hit that retweet button, guys. We appreciate it. We need all the support we can get. We're trying our best. We want to grow this baby steps. We want to see this do well, take off. We're going to get better week by week. Tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your pastor. We want you to listen to this in church. Um, <laughs> hit us up on Twitter. Give us our demographic. You can, yes, yeah. you can find us on iTunes. Just search Back Sports. Find the Under the Hoodies episodes. Download them. I tell everybody, download it when you're on Wi-Fi. It'll be on your phone. It'll be on your mobile device. You can listen to it when you're on the road, driving to work, if you're bored, whenever. Please, guys, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the support. Give us your feedback. Any questions, any comments, disagree with anything we say, our opinions, let us know. I'm an open book, man. Just hit me up. I, I won't fault you for it. Everyone can have their opinion. It just happens that Bill and I have a platform to just voice ours now. So we also want to hear yours. Yes, and also, although our boss, our big boss may or may not be listening to this, um, it is very important that we we, we do grow this and get more listeners so we can uh, inevitably generate a little bit of revenue. Um, because Tony and I, I think combined, I think we might, if we combine all of our education, we might have a community college degree. We just might, Tony. So we're not smart enough to work anywhere else and make more money doing what we're doing currently. So we are stuck at our jobs until we grow this podcast. So please tell a friend, tell a buddy, tell anybody. I don't care. I don't really care who listens, except for Tyree Kill. I do not want him listening to this. But other than Tyreek Hill, anybody can listen to this. And uh, it's, you know, if you like sports or if you like uh, dudes with, uh, well, one dude with a personality and the other one that's always really tired, then this is the show for you and for them. So, uh, yep, please tell a friend and follow us on the Twitters at, uh, again, at Bill Kegel, at Tony Cuse 44 at Under the Hoodies, just to repeat what you said. Also, find us on BackSportsPage.com and um, Facebook, Bill Kegel, Tony DeNicola, and please go to the iTunes review and leave us a review. If the first person that leaves us a review, I actually might do something very, very nice for that person. So if we get somebody to leave us a review that we don't know, um, because, you know, Nate's listening and Nate will probably leave us a review for some reason. But if it's somebody that we don't know, I might uh, might message you and uh, might send you off something kind of nice. So uh, please go ahead and do that. And, um, Till next week, Tony, we are out. Big old Michael Strahan, you ain't got nothing. How about them? T-
I hate that the show's ending like that. Goodbye, Tony. As, as you should.